welcome. We will get started. Um, today's revelation is a uh, passage is going to be fascinating. Our Leviticus passage is quite interesting itself. Um, starting with Leviticus 26. So you shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it for I am the Lord your God. Okay, period. Um, this is actually, this does relate to our uh, Revelation passage because we're going to talk about the statue in Daniel mm. and the statue in Daniel that they refused to bow down to because of this, this command. You don't bow down to idols. Uh, verse 2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statues and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Um, and remember, a few chapters ago in Revelation, we were talking about withhold, you know, when the rains were withheld. Mm -hmm. We talked about the famine that came from that, and um, yeah. you know, so this it all connects back to this. Uh, your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. In other words, when you're right with God, don't worry about it. Doesn't he matter that you're you. outnumbered. Yeah, <laughs> he he's got, got your you. back. He's got your front. He's got you covered on all sides. He's yeah. got your food. He's got your protection. Don't worry about it. And, and this is the kind of thing that should give you comfort. With, you know, when you start out with the letters in Revelation and it's saying, okay, this church, this is, a, this is what you got going on that you need to fix. But there's those of you who are seers and doers of the word. Don't worry about it. You're good. You're fine. And so you see that over and over. This group, big problems. But there's a few of you that are good. You're protected. You know, so there's a corporate element to this, but there's also a personal element to this. You know, if you're right with God, you don't need to worry about all the people around you who are not. Because even if what they do negatively affects you, God will still take care of you. Right. Um, which is, you know, it goes to the, the uh, Peter's statements about women uh, being like Sarah, you know, and, and with their husbands. Because even when Abraham did really messed up stuff, like, you know, saying that she was his sister, which was, which was not a lie, it wasn't a full truth, but, you know, when she ended up in, the, you know, Pharaoh's harem, mm -hmm. God protected her. It didn't matter what Abraham had done. It didn't matter, you know, she, she was right before the Lord. God protected her. He, was, he didn't let anybody um, defile her. He didn't let her have, have you know, mm -hmm. um, those bad things happen to her. And, and there are lots of things in life, you know, if everybody around you at your workplace is, is doing all this horrible stuff and it's ne it may be negatively affecting you, but you press into the Lord and he'll walk you through it. 
you know, he'll protect you while you're going through it. It may not be pleasant. I mean, you know, it's not like Sarah was all, woohoo, I'm in the Pharaoh's harem, you know. It's just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you you will go through it and you will go through it just fine. And, you know, um, my mom, like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when we would go through different things, my mom would tell me, I am praying that you come out of this not smelling like smoke. You know, that you remember you're not alone in the fire, that you're going to come out of the fire, you're going to be fine, and that you don't bring any of the smoke smell with you, that you just walk straight through it. So this is kind of the same thing, and this is important to keep in mind when we're reading these Revelation chapters. If you're one of the hearers and doers of the word, you're good. You know, that's what you can control, that log in your eye. That's where your focus should be. We're in Leviticus 26. And it's funny you should he's talking about this because that's what Riri and I was talking about. I don't know if you really get what she's saying, Riri, but remember, because sometimes she feel out there, you know, she's like the middle child and all the mm. sisters and, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes she don't feel like, you know, she's really being paid attention to or understood. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, Riri, that's, that's the time to pray. Yeah. You need to cry, cry to your father. Yeah. He understands. When yeah. Other people don't understand and he will bring you comfort. Yeah. Every time he would bring you comfort to live in that hot seated situation. Well, he's the one. He he's the one who chose away, for you to be that yeah. order of child. He, yeah. He's the one, and all of the things that you are going through are shaping who you will become. Yeah. And and so, it's really it's really interesting because sometimes you know let's take people who suffer abuse in their childhood. Some go on to become abusers, and some go on to fight against abuse. Right. And, and people who, um, you know, are, are uh, you know, persecuted for, for things. Some go on to be persecutors. Some go on to fight against, you know, and fight for people. And so the, the things that you are feeling, um, one of the things that I really, really believe is that the circumstances we go through as God is working them together for good, he wants to use them as part of our ministry to other people. Mm-hmm. So if you go through things where you feel like you are unheard or you feel like you don't have a voice, that gives you a unique position to minister to and help other people who feel that way. So as you get older and, and you, you start to grow in these things, you'll have a unique situation. You'll have a unique ear for someone who's in the similar situation. Does that make sense? You know, so you'll be able to to love and minister to and counsel people in a situation that I maybe can't relate to. And so God can use you in those situations better than other people. And one of the things that was really important for me years ago was to stop asking, why am I going through this? And start asking, God, what do you want to teach me since I'm going through this? Yeah. You know, what do you want me to learn so I don't have to go through this again? <laughs> or so then the next time I go through it, I go through it better. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, he does, he does care about that. And when you're, when you're right with God, all the rest of the stuff, you just, whatever, whatever, it's just stuff. So he will turn to you, I will turn to you and make you fruitful, verse 9, and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. 
and I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Now verse 14, and, and this directly applies to everything we're talking about in Revelation. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Verse 17. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And discipline there is a really wow. wrong, it's the wrong word. It's, it, it, it really is, I will punish you. This is, this is, um, and, you know, remembering that um, the, the ideas of, uh, you know, when God punishes, that he uses earthly means to do it, punishing you with the rod of men and punishing, you know, and so, so this is talking about, um, you know, and these times, these, the times specifically that we're talking about, they come and they will come again, because we're going to talk specifically about this idea again in our Revelation chapter. Um, sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. So you've got, when you're right with God, you don't have to put out any effort, these things are happening. When you're not right with God, it doesn't matter how hard you work, it ain't going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's... it's. What's up with the iron and bronze thing? How is that... Well, remember when um, in Revelation we're, we've been talking about with, with what I was saying, like the rod of iron. And the iron and bronze, it, it, um, they, they are references to judgment. So it's, it's the cruelty, the harshness, the hard iron, the... So the heaven, like... Iron is yeah, I, so basically your heavens and your earth, your whole experience will be about judgment. Everything will be against you. Okay. Um, and let me see, what, what verse was that? So let me see if they have any specific that commentary is. in here. Um, and they have iron and copper. 19. Verse 19. Um, it's a seven ways for your sins. Uh, yeah, because they have it... Um, if, if despite this you do not heed me, verse 18, then I shall punish you further seven ways for your sins. I will break the pride of your might. I will make your heaven like iron and your land like copper. Um, and so seven punishments for the continuing commission of the seven sins enumerated in verses 14 through 15, according to Rashi. Because God punishes only measure for measure, there would not be seven punishments for one sin. So in other words, you... You're going above and beyond, and so the punishments are increasing because you're you're running in that direction. Um, it says, the seven punishments of this series are destruction of the temple, the heaven will be like iron, the earth will be like copper, you will extend your strength in vain, the earth will not yield its crops, trees will not yield its fruit, and whatever fruit does, uh, does grow will drop from the tree before maturity. So, verse 21, then if you walk contrary, so if all of that happens, then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins, and I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. 
And if by this discipline, or really punishment, because discipline is to teach, and punishment is to to repay. And yeah. so there is the desire that you will turn away, but you already know better. So it's not a discipline. Discipline is, you know, all the things he's done prior to this to teach you the right way, and you're just rejecting it. You, mm -hmm. ju you don't want anything to do with it. Um, you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me. Then I also will walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you. And you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Oh, and that, that happened in the, um, under Ahab when they were uh, under, um, I cannot think of the word, the enemy was outside their gates and they were, they were trapped inside, it's under siege, thank you. And that was the, the story where they came to the king and they said, you know, this woman, and you know, she told me if we eat my son yesterday that we would eat her son today and so we ate my son and now she's hiding her son and won't bring him out. I want justice, I want, you know, oh. yeah. They were starving or something? Yeah, they had, been, they had been under siege and food was cut off from the city and they had eaten all of the animals and they started eating each other. And that's actually, a, they, they've documented it in sieges all around the world over the years. It's apparently something in the brain, like at the, a certain point of starvation, something in the brain just I know, goes caterwonky. I just want to die before I eat it. Well, and some people human, would, but, but other people. Well, yeah, like okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, um, and but what this is, you know, what this is saying is that that's, you know, doing that is a sign that you're not walking in the right way with God. Mm. Um, and you shall eat. And that's true because um, what did the lady tell? Um, was it Isaiah, um, the one who had just a little cake? Right. A flower, and yeah. she says, I'm going to make this, and then, and then we're going to die. die. Yeah. You know, and he was like, No, you're not. Right. You know, right. You're going to go, and, you know, and she had more flour and more oil. And, and it wasn't, I'm going to make this, and then I'll eat my son tomorrow. It was. Yeah, she didn't say nothing about eating her son. <laughs> she knew they were starving. She knew they were she starving. Right. She said, I'm going to make this. We're going to eat this. This is our last meal, and then we're going to die. That's right. That's I, right. I have a Oh, go ahead. So in verse 27, but if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me. See, because the, the goal in all of this is at a certain point, you're going to wake up and turn back to the Lord. You know, that, that's the desire. That's God's desire. He keeps bringing the judgment, and it's kind of like we were talking about last week. Okay, if this is the direction you want to walk, let me show you a little more what that means. It's, you know, the idea of measure for measure really is natural consequences. There are natural laws in play. And God holds them back for his children, but you want to not be his child, then okay. Here it is. You're going to do this. This is the consequence for that. You're going to do this. Oh, you're going to still insist on, okay, well, then the consequences are increasing. It's not like God is deciding, oh, I'm angry about that. I'm going to do this. It's, you know, it, and it's not by the individual. You know, your temperament needs this. It's, it's, not, it's not that kind. It's a, 
this action results in this consequence, and if you insist in this action, I'm not holding back the consequence. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. And the idea, you know, the desire of his heart being, as you experience what it means to be away from me, you'll start to want to be with me, that you'll realize, um, you know, it's, it's basically tough love, you know, when you've got the rebellious teenager who's drinking and staying out till four in the morning, and you're realizing that I'm up all night calling them repeatedly, and at a certain point, it's okay to step back and say, you know what, the store is locked at midnight. You decide which side you're on. I'm going to bed, turning off all the phones. I'm, I, I hope I'll find you in the morning. But I am not, I'm done enabling and, and exerting all of my energy. You're making these choices. I can't save you from them. So if you're going to make these choices, make these choices. Door's That's locked. like uh, I was reading uh, Franklin Graham's book, Rebel... Uh-huh. And, cost. Uh -huh. and uh, that's one of the things he's saying that his he was out drinking and all this and his mom would wait up for him every night. Mm -hmm. She'd be falling asleep with the Bible uh -huh. falling off her lap. Uh -huh. And she'd be praying for him and she would be she did him like the opposite way. She didn't lock the door. Right. But she was there and he'd say, I just felt guiltier and guiltier. Right. And, and but he said, she was really don't have to wait up for me. Okay, son. But she wasn't she wasn't chasing after him. She yeah. wasn't. She right. stayed and she was praying for him. Right. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that that is its own form of tough love. I'm mm -hmm. gonna I'm praying for you. I'm here. Mm -hmm. You're seeing me here. At some point, I really trust that you're going to want to be here with me and not out doing what you're doing. Yeah. But if you're going to be out doing what you're doing, you're going to suffer the consequences for it. I'm not blocking them. I'm not right. protecting you. You know, it's the difference between the 19-year-old out-of-control child who gets arrested and the parents are, you know, down bailing them out of jail and hiring the best attorney to get them off oh, versus the 19-year-old who gets arrested and the parents say, okay, I'll, I'll come get you in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go before the judge and we'll get you, we'll get you an attorney to get you the best thing, but we're not, you know, if you did it, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to fight to get you off. I'll get you protection because our legal system says you need protection, but I'm not protecting you from this. I'm not, you know, there's a difference from being protected from being railroaded in the court system and being protected from the consequences of your action. Right. You know, and so, so this is really what, you know, God's saying, I'm here. At some point, you really should want to be here with me. Right. But if you want to be there, be there and let me warn you. Yeah. There means this. There means these things happen. Do these things, you're going to eat your kids. Do these things, you will have no crops. You will have, you know, your choice. But this is the reality of the choice that you're making. With me, protection, security, safety, you know, all sorts of amazing things away from me, not. You know, and then some people, a lot of times, you know, people say, well, that's not a choice. It is a choice. <laughs> yeah, that is a choice. You know, if a woman's husband is cheating on her and she says, you either go to counseling with me or I'm out of here, mm -hmm. that's a choice. Yeah, it sure is. You choose. Do you yeah, want to be with me or not? If you don't want to be with me, I'm not wasting my time on you. Mm -hmm. If you want to be with me, let's get to working on it because I'm not wasting my time not working on it. Right. You know, and you can't say that, you can't if hope to say that as a threat or as a, if no. I give you this ultimate because he might choose not to. <laughs> I mean, you have to really be done. Yeah. You have to be able to be, stand there and say, okay, this is the choice. Right. And, and if, you, you know, if you're doing it to try and move his hand, you may find that his choice is to leave. To leave. And then you're kind of 
in trouble. So you wait until you're really, really done. And this is what God's saying is at this point, this is it. You choose. So verse 27, if in spite of this, you will not listen to me. Wow, still more. Yeah, but walk contrary to me. Then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. Mm. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. So you want to live this way in the land? And, and, and we, we, we read this in the prophets, where the prophets say, the land has cried out, when will we get our Sabbath? So he's saying, they'll get it when you're not there, when you're not there keeping it from it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight, and they shall flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. They, so the opposite of I'll protect you no matter what happens, you know, you're going to be terrified of a shadow. Mm-hmm. They shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though none pursues, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies, and you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity, and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. But if they confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, and if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them, and they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. So even at the ultimate of God doesn't want anything to do with your offerings, God is done with you, as soon as you repent... And make amends, you're just right back. It's the prodigal son. You know, the father saw him running a long ways off. And and then and ran to him. Oh, the prodigal. You know, and it's not God saw him coming, you know, the father saw him coming a long way off and thought, that Oh good, true. he's finally he coming back. He saw him coming a long way off and ran to him. Um, which was actually would actually have been shameful because you know, he just didn't do that. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, if, even after all of this, if you confess and repent and make amends, we're good. We're good. Even after all of that, I'll forgive it. That's awesome. Does that mean this clean slate starts, everything starts over for them again? Or do they, is there something? It, it's, I, I, w- I, don't, I wouldn't look at it that way. I wouldn't look at it like a clean slate so much as you're right with God again. Okay. I mean, you're still, you may still have to go through things, like you, you may have, you, the idea of making amends is that you're cleaning up your messes. 
you know, it's not like, poof, it's all happy again. I mean, you still have to live with what you did. You still have to grow from what happened. God still needs to do some work in you, but you're, you're no longer separated from God. Okay. So, so that's, that's it's a different, it's a different idea. It's not, it's not about guilty, not guilty. Oh, good. I'm not guilty. It's about now, you, now we're going to fix this. So you still have to climb out of the ditch you put yourself into, but you're with God. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's, I would say even more than that, it's about all of the things that are in you that caused you to go in the ditch in the first place, you now need to turn over to the Lord so that they don't take you that direction again. You know, he doesn't instantly, I mean, some things might instantly and miraculously be altered in you, but there are other things that are that you're going to have to embrace that process of growing and maturing. Um, you know, that it's the difference between, um, you know, being... Saved versus sanctified. You know, you you you're right with God, but you you need to go through that. He's he's got work to do in you. You're not suddenly perfected. You know, you're not suddenly. I just ate my child last week, but I repented of it. And I'm fine, happy before the Lord. You know, it's you've got to, <laughs> you've got to, That human part of you has to go through yeah. that process. So yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them. So, you know, even here, they've repented. He's with them. But they're still in the land of their enemies. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, I will not spurn them. I will not abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord, their God. But I will, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay, now keep all of that in mind as we go into our Revelation section because this is really what we're seeing in Revelation. What we're seeing is, you know, it, it's happened in, in fits and starts over time. You know, when they were cast out of the land, it had gotten extreme. The land had cried out. God, God kicked them out. But we've talked also about all of the prophets, all of the books of the prophets. There's a prophecy for their day, and there's a prophecy for the end of days. And, and so there's, there's this idea throughout Scripture that things happen, and they're a picture of what will happen at the end. And this happens, and it's a picture of what will happen at the end. And Joseph has two dreams. One is about him as a messianic figure saving the, the Jewish people in his day, and the other is about Messiah. And that's what we talked about last week, where Israel gives birth to Messiah. Mm -hmm. And it's the sun and the moon and the stars. And so there is this now and future picture throughout Scripture. You know, things that happen now give us insight into what will happen then. Um, and, and in part because it's just all, it, it's all the same thing, you know, it's just, it's, it's the increasing reality of it, you know, the people in this area reject God, and they walk, they walk away from him, and things happen to them, and then the people in this area reject God, and, and then in the end, it's, okay, all of you who are rejecting God, it's, this is the last Time, it's bigger, it's on a grander scale. So ver chapter 13, verse 1 in Revelation. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with, oh, and um, 
a couple of things before this, actually. Keeping in mind, as we've been talking about, God's ultimate plan is the reunification of his name, according to Zechariah 14.9. So this will take place when the different levels of creation are unified. The third temple is established, and the coming of Elijah and Messiah <coughs> culminates in the wedding of, the, of Messiah and the Shekinah, the bride and the groom, um, you know, are, are, are reunited. Um, Hasetan's plan is to counter this and produce a counterfeit wherein he gets to be in the role of God. Um, in Isaiah 14, 14, Hasetan says, I will be like the Most High. But everything he does or that anyone does plays into God's ultimate purpose. So if you think about, you know, the, like the Greek mythologies, how they would get the oracle and then they would try to make the oracle not happen and everything they did was exactly what they needed to do for that to happen. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen no matter what you do. Everything you do is exactly what you're supposed to do to play into it. So he knows what Hasetan's doing. It's not like, it's not like Satan's going to do something and he's going to go, oh, I wasn't anticipating that. How do I respond? You know, it's, it's, all, it's all part of the big picture. It's all moving us towards God's ultimate end. So he knows there's going, you know, that there's going to be this deception and there's this season. Um, that the main expression of disunity in the name of God is the Shekinah being in exile with the people. Um, you know, so basically while, while the, the Holy Spirit is with the people, it is, it is separated out. I mean, it is still one with God, but it is this, this idea, well, we are not, we are not at that ultimate place of being unified with God. We're still getting there. We're still developing. Um, and, and it's a gift that the, that the Shekinah, that the Holy Spirit is with us. But at the end, when that wedding feast takes place, that will not be the case. We will be reunited as part, you know, we will come in with the Holy Spirit and we will be all there together reunited. Um, but it is the fact that the, the Holy Spirit is, is quote-unquote separated that allows Satan to have any power to act. So, um, and we've been talking about all the different writings where when people were pressing into God, it kept Satan at bay. And when people were, you know, when the people, when the Israelites were abandoning God's ways, then Satan got to have, which is what we just read about. God saying, when you're right with me, when you're following my statutes, I'll keep all of that away. Abandon me, it'll happen. So, so we've, you know, we've got that picture going. And that the nature and tactics of Satan, um, of Ahasatan, as demonstrated by Israel, you know, as demonstrated by Israel's historical enemies, Amalek, Balaam, Haman, Nebuchadnezzar, they can give us insight into what's going on in Revelation. Um, you know, Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, that which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. And this goes with the idea of, as we look at the things that happened in their time, we get insight when those things are referenced in Revelation. So, you know, Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue. Daniel says it means something. We encounter a statue here. We go back to Daniel and we go, okay, what does that mean? Um, but it, it's, and, and what is that showing us in this content? It's not a literal same thing. It doesn't, you know, it, it, but it's, it, it's a meaning same thing. So in this chapter, um, John's vision moves from the dragon in the throne room that gets cast down to, uh, and becomes more down to earth in the form of two beasts. Um, the first of these is said to emerge from the sea, so the world, realm of souls, and then the second comes from the land. And then these three, you know, we've got, 
uh, these three, we've got, um, you know, God, and we've got uh, the eternal God, and we've got the, the Messiah, and we've got the Shekinah, and there's this, this uh, you know, threefold real aspect of God that's being united. We've got the, the three different lower levels are being united, and here we have a picture of a counterfeit of three also. Mm. And that's what we're talking about in this chapter. Um, the, uh, so all three of these entities work in conjunction with each other, and the theme of a heavenly power with two earthly manifestations is seen throughout history. Um, you know, we've got king idea of king and priest, Pharaoh and the magician, chief and medicine man. Um, within Judaism, the end time scenarios always involve Messiah and the prophet Elijah. You know, so there's this two spiritual reality manifests in two on the earth. So here we're, we're dealing with Hasetan having this, the dragon that becomes two beasts. So the dragon is represented by the two beasts. Um, so verse one, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. So this beast is coming from the realm of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Um, so the couple of ideas of, of what this means, because it doesn't specifically say, is that it could be an angel appearing in human form because it is coming out of the realm of souls and the realm of angels. Um, it could be an angel appearing in human form, uh, someone who's possessed, manifesting as a person. We've talked about God sending angels unawares, coming in as, you know, poor people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it will be in the form of, uh, you know, of a human but will it possess a human? Will it just manifest as a human? I don't know. And is it the soul of a human body who was created for a purpose? Pharaoh was a person. And Pharaoh was born because he was the perfect soul to defy God and give us that picture in that time. Mm -hmm. So who, we don't know. For whatever reason, this person, whether it be um, you know, a, 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 an angel in human form or whether it be a person born for this purpose, but they're there. Okay, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Oh, and it's also, it's an individual, these pictures to, to horns and, and blasphemous names and the, the crowns on its head. It is a governing entity. And we've talked about this before, the idea that, that um, we're probably looking at a movement, but yes, there will be someone in charge of that movement. You know, there are leaders of movements, but it's both the bigger picture and the individual. Um, so verse two, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to the dragon, uh, and to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Um, now this is, this is really fascinating because, um, a lot of commentaries, you know, talk about the leopard, the bear, and the lion, how they mirror the beasts that are talked about in the book of Daniel. And they're symbolic of the nations that turn on Israel when they turn uh, from God and his Torah. Uh, from the uh, Talmud in uh, Maz Megillah 11a, as a roaring lion and a ravenous bear, so is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A roaring lion, this is the wicked Nebuchadnezzar, of whom it is written... A lion is, hold on next page, gone up from his thicket. A ravenous bear, this is a Hasharush, of whom it is written, and behold, another beast, a second like to a bear. 
and Reb Joseph learned, these are the Persians who eat and drink like bears and are coated with flesh like bears and are hairy like bears and can never keep still like bears. A wicked ruler, this is Haman, over a poor people, this is Israel, who are poor in the observance of precepts. So God describes himself, in, and then God describes himself in terms of these three beasts and passing his judgment on unfaithful Israel in Hosea 13, 4 through 9. And I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt, and you know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of great drought, according to their pasture. They became full, they were filled, and their heart was exalted, therefore they have forgotten me. Therefore, I will be to them as a lion, as a leopard, by the way, will I observe them. I will meet them like a bear that is bereaved of her cubs and will tear their closed up heart. And there I will devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. O Israel, you have destroyed yourself, for you are against me, against your help. Um, so this, there's this idea that God is using these human leaders to bring about his judgment and so what we've got here is a leader of a movement who is going to be in the tradition of Pharaoh, Ahasuerus, Haman. He's going to be used, you know, he's going to be in that place of bringing judgment upon the people, of attacking the people, of coming against the people. Because they have gotten to a place of abandoning him, that God is moving against them in this way again, with the same goal and out, out you know, goal of outcome, which is that they will come back to him. Um, and what's interesting is uh, one, one, this is a quote from one modern rabbi. It says, in the end, the Talmud reaches a compromise. If the Jewish people are not deserving of being redeemed at the end of days, God will cause a ruler to arise who will decree against the Jewish people, as did Haman in the days of Mordecai and Esther, making their lives so difficult that Jews far and wide will be forced to turn back to God and become deserving of redemption. Okay, so that's what's going on here. They're so far away from God that he'll allow someone to come to power who will be so opposed to them mm -hmm. that they will turn back to him. And, and that's, that's what this is talking about. So one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, um, and, but its mortal wound was healed, and the earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, a lot of times, you know, in the, in the left behind stuff, this is this idea that uh, there'll be a ruler, and, you know, that, that that ruler will get shot, but then they'll resurrect and they'll come back. To, and it could be that. It could just also be the fact that we are seeing that spirit of Haman, that spirit of Nebuchadnezzar, that spirit of Ahasuerus manifested again. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's, this is nothing new. We've seen you before. You were defeated. Ah, you're back. So it doesn't, it doesn't, it's, you know, not necessarily that, um, you know. I mean, it could, it could have to do with, you know, it could be more literal, but it doesn't have to be. Um, let's see. And they, verse 4, and they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, and, and they being the people. They worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So here is our three and a half year, again, the 42 months, the, the limited period of time that... Um, you know, is for the idea of stages of reproving and rectification that's supposed to lead to a conclusion. Um, 
and Ezekiel talks about there being blasphemous speech in the end of days. And, and blasphemy is declaring yourself God. So this will be haughty and blasphemous coming from the beast, declaring himself to be God. Um, verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Um, it also, also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So okay. those are the people who will worship those, well, Yes, everyone who isn't written in the Lamb's book of life is going to be deceived and, and worship this, okay? Um, but those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will not. <laughs> they will know better. They will say, I am not abandoning God to worship this person who calls themselves God. I am not going to follow after this world leader. I, I, am, I know my groom. This fake groom is not him. And then the um, the idea of worship, like the, the first thing that pops into people's heads, I think is like you standing there like singing and praising the that thing. But worship comes in, in so many different forms. Yes, it? yes, just obeying. Yeah, I mean, you know, living living out the lifestyle that is put forth. By whoever so it is. just simply that is a form of worship. Yes, and yes. So it's not like there's going to be crowds. I mean, there might be, but it's not saying that there's going to be crowds. Oh, we worship you, you know. But it's, it's this, um, the, uh, some of the extreme Muslim end times prophecies involve Muhammad coming back with the Christian Jesus as his second in command and the church will recognize the Christian Jesus who will tell them, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to confuse you, you're actually supposed to worship Muhammad. And then they will all become Muslim and they will do the right thing and they will live their Muslim lives. Okay. Fits this idea. Is that what it's gonna be? I don't know, but that fits. False Messiah yeah. Yeah. coming back, giving glory to false leader, so if we telling back, people to live against what God has outlined in scripture. So if we go, go back through the generations, are most of the Muslims, did they come from um, Ishmael? Um, originally the tribes did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that is where one of the ideas for end times things is when God said that, um, told his mother that he would have he would have 12 princes. That's why um, there, there's two different branches of, of Islam at this point, and the extreme uh, apocalyptic version is waiting for and uh, waiting for the 12th Imam. And what's his name over there? Um, yeah, what, what is his name? I can't think of his name. I can't pronounce his name. <laughs> he 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 is actually the 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 leader there, and I, gosh, I can't, my brain's not working. Um, he has declared himself the prophet who will usher in the the twelfth imam. And so there there is, I mean, not all Muslims uh, adhere to the the extreme teachings. There there's the um, that that's the, the two different branches. But I know you saw in the news of the bombing of the Boston 
mm-hmm. marathon, and those guys um, have, um, to me, all but said, you know, they did it. They yeah. Just, especially since they found that writing in the boat. Mm-hmm. Of what he said about that. Well, and a lot of the yeah, like a lot of the current terrorist on. things are, you know, they're being done by this these extreme sects, and they believe that they're ushering in you know, the return of their Messiah. They're ushering in the 12th Imam who will rule them and correct everybody and bring everybody into alignment with Islamic teachings. You know, is is that what this is a picture of? It very well could be. You know, is it something else? It could be, but that that is an example of, of more of what this is talking about, that, that it's more of a movement that that has a leader that is, you know, that people are abandoning you know, either abandoning their own ways and aligning with him, um, you know, so, and, and set, you know, the idea being that anyone who is not, you know, their name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be deceived by this idea. And a lot of people do believe that this is a, a coming to head of an, of an Esau and, or of an Ishmael and Jacob, that this is, this is the coming to a head of, of, you know, because Ishmael and well, and, and Esau, and there's references, you know, throughout Scripture that there's this line that comes down that is not aligned with God. Because and Esau actually went and attached himself to Ishmael when he married Ishmael's daughter after Jacob was sent to get the his bride from um, his mother's family. Yeah. You know, Ishmael said, "Oh, fine," I'll, I'll, and he went and married Ishmael's daughter. Or Esau's e- daughter. Esau went and married Ishmael's daughter. Oh. Yeah. So so there's this idea of that playing, that there's this parallel playing out down through history. Yeah. That there's this, you know, the chosen by God and the we're angry that we weren't the chosen by God. And, and we should have been and we have a right to. It plays out in the land. That's what we see going on in the land today. That the land is ours, but it should be ours. And and when you you know when you listen to um, the the Arab leaders and and everyone says oh we want to compromise and Israel at one point said fine offered like ninety seven percent of the land what and compromise it back in the seventies and they said no a hundred percent or nothing wow you know there's there there and that's why the current leader that's why um, you know they're they're saying there there's no there is no compromise they're not wanting a compromise. And and so Israel to me was compromised too much had they taken up on Oh the yeah. I agree, but but that wasn't enough. And and but that wasn't enough. And so mm-hmm. so there is, you know, we keep it, it's about the land, it's about these parallel ideas. It's about and and whether it manifests as as Muslim teaching or not, it regardless, it's about right with God, not right with God. Right. You know, and and it it's so all of the different things that are not right with God are, not, are, are the, they're outside of that. And so, but this is an idea that all of those different not right with gods are going to come together under one leader. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the picture of what's going on here. And, and yes, worship being about, you, you're, you worship with everything you do. You worship with everything you live out. And a lot of people won't really recognize that. No. At all, because and it might general... be good stuff. Yeah, the general belief of what worship is is like so on the surface, mm-hmm. and if you don't understand the definition of and the concept of of what worship really means, then 
it kind of you could be worshiping and not realize you're and worshiping. And not realize right. that you're worshiping. Right. Well, and and that's and that's the other the other thing is this isn't good versus bad. It's not like everything that will be a part of this this blasphemous way of living will be bad in yeah. the eyes of men. It might involve being nice to people. It might, you know, the I really if you think about it, the idea that something would come in that is evil and telling you to do evil things and would sway everybody is kind of really weird. No, it, it would be more if it if the if the leader is saying no, I am the God you are supposed to follow, or my way is the way of God. Is really you know these are the teachings of God. Um, God doesn't say that. He says do this. And if it's generally loving and kind and wonderful to the eyes of man, but it's out of line with God, people will go, oh, but that's, that's such a nice way to live, you know, or that's, mm -hmm. look, they want us to do these things. But the idea is that you're not doing them the way that God said. Yeah. I mean, because even if you look at idolatry, you know, God says this is how you are to offer the sacrifices. And idolatry says, all of the pagan nations say, no, this is how you should offer the sacrifices. Both are doing sacrifices. Mm -hmm. It's just one's doing them according to God and one's not. So it could be, this is how you're supposed to do these things. This is the right way to do these things. Um, and it could be very similar and, and close, right? Like, like, mm -hmm. like the wheat and the tares. Yes. They look the same and you yes. can't really... And that's the idea that the people who are undecided... And that's scary. ...will be... Will be sweet. Well, and, and that, to me, it, it is a little more scary than thinking it's going to be this, you know, ominous evil coming it's, in and taking... No. It's not going to be obvious like that. It's going to be much more... I mean, it's just... It is evil because it is a counterfeit. Yeah. But a counterfeit looks like the real. Weakness. And, and that's, that's the thing to keep in mind. The counterfeit looks like the real. The only way you know it's a counterfeit is if you know the real. Yep. And that's why it's like only those. those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life who will not be deceived they know the by the real. counterfeit. They'll go, well, that's cl close, but no. Like a, a diamond and a zirconium. Yes, <laughs> yes. And you'll be going, you know, and, and, I, and I think that there is a level of discernment going on in that it, even if it looks the same, you're going to go, no, because the bigger picture. You know, even if that one thing, you know, what is the best way to do a counterfeit? It's to do a lot of the same things as the original and just change it in key ways. You know, and so, no, no, that that is not God. And and but it's only those who know God who will see that it's not God. Yeah. And and so that's that's what this picture is. This picture is not some evil antichrist who's going to start destroying everyone. And and you know, it's. It's just someone who rises up and says, no, this is the right way to do it. So verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, this is where a lot of people say, you know, this, this is where the Antichrist is going to persecute Christians and we've all got to be ready to die. Yes, 
But this is happening today all over the world. And so the caution isn't, you're all going to get killed. The caution is, no matter what the cost, stay faithful. No matter what the cost, endure. If you go into captivity, you go into captivity. If you go to death, you go to death. And why? Because, as we read about in our Leviticus passage today, if you're right with God, he'll protect you in all of that, and none of that matters. When you're right with, you know, we've talked about the idea of when um, the, the, the commentaries when Moses and Aaron died, and if you are focused so much on the things of this world, when your death comes, it's like trying to remove a burr from lamb's wool. Versus if you're focused on the things of the world to come and you're focused on the Lord, you pass seamlessly from life to death. You know, the stoning of, of uh, yeah. Thomas, who got stoned? When he got the... Yeah, when, oh, when Stephen. He, Stephen, thank you. I, can, I always want to say Thomas or Simon. And like, no, it's Stephen. Um, he was already in heaven when the stones were coming at him. It was like he wasn't feeling him, huh? Right. Because he was so focused on heaven. He was so heaven. focused on heaven. Exactly. He was in the throne room already. I'm so thrilled at that, you know, how he was saying what he saw. And I'm thinking in my mind, aren't they throwing the stones still? Yeah. They haven't stopped throwing the stones. But yeah. Like, you know what? Do shoot your best shot because That's I, can, right. I have the best seat in the house. That's I'm right. Oh, you're sending me there? Okay. And Good. so I'm ready. This, you know, <laughs> the, but this idea has been pictured in, you know, a lot of the, in the Left Behind books and all the different things that, you know, those movies from the 70s that are just terrifying, that you're going to be put, choose, reject God and do this. Well, you know what? That's really not even a choice. And, and rather than fearing, because what happens is a lot of people have been told, you better make the right choice when that comes. But you made the choice long before that point. If you chose God, then when you get to that point, they're not making a choice. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, you can't make a choice inconsistent with your, with your convictions. You can't, you, you just can't, I mean, it's not that you better make the right choice at that point. It's saying, make the right choices. Now, this is why I say a lot, everyone in the rest of the world outside of the U.S. reads this and goes, oh, there's two teams in the end, we better be on the right one. You know, if you're on the right team, you play for the team. If you're, if you're right with God, death is not a threat. If you're right with God, captivity holds no fears. You're going with me. You're Sarah in the, in the harem. Nothing's going to happen. You know, you're going to be protected even through death. Daniel in the lion. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Shadrach, Meshach, and those are all, exactly, and that's why we have those stories. Mm -hmm. To remind us. To remind us. Be faithful. Right. Be faithful. Because, you know, what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? He said, our God has the power to save us. Right. And even if he doesn't, right. we're not disobeying. That's right. And so it's this, basically it's saying that that's what we're going to face. The same thing that's been faced by God's people throughout generations. On a grander scale. Yeah. On a more global scale. But same thing. Mm -hmm. So verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Wow. So it looked like Messiah, mm. but it spoke like the beast. <laughs> wow. 
it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Okay, so this deception, what they say in the study there, is this deception mimics Elijah, okay, uh, or what we're going to read because there's fire that's going to come. But this basically, the origin of the second beast is, is from the earth. Um, and so throughout this chapter, John presents the idea of that unholy unity that, you know, that it's, it's complete now. There's this third, um, this third beast now. Um, so it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. So this is, this is the, the Elijah mm -hmm. parallel. Excuse me. Um, so you've got the counterfeit of the king and the great prophet. And let's see what they had. I had some notes here. Um, okay. So it, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And, and this going back to that, um, the, the uh, extreme Islamic end times picture of, of Muhammad coming with Jesus. You know, so if, this, if there's this creature that looks like Jesus, what the church expects Jesus to look like, what all the pictures show Jesus to look like, what people are expecting Jesus to, and it's all love and good, and look, I can do miracles, and, but worship this, this is who you're supposed to worship. So it's at that point of saying that this is who you're supposed to worship that you go counterfeit, not real. Counterfeit. <laughs> um, so, and then it says, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that is wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Wow. Okay, this was really fascinating to me. Um, because, let me see here, verse 15. It says, the second beast that emanates from the earth commands the people to make an image to the first beast and this image parallels that of Nebuchadnezzar to a greater extent than John informs us. This is um, this text that I'm going to read from Midrash Rabbah, the Song of Songs, um, 7:15. This gives us a critical piece of information regarding Nebuchadnezzar's idol that is not found in in the Tanakh. And so this is from the Midrash. This is an this is an ancient Midrash. This is not a Midrash made to explain Revelation. This was the teaching that John would have known about. The rabbis say, Nebuchadnezzar tried to entice Daniel, saying to him, Will you not bow down to the image, for it is strong and real? Come and see what it can do. He said to him, And you will bow down to it of yourself. What did that wicked king do? He took the plate of the high priest and put it in the mouth of the image. And then he brought together all manner of musicians who played hymns to it, and it responded, I am the Lord thy God. When Daniel saw this, he said, Will you permit me to go up to it and kiss your image on the mouth? Why on the mouth, he said to him, because, he replied, it speaks so excellently. So the, the teaching was that the, the image that, ne or the, the idol that Nebuchadnezzar built actually spoke. Wow. 
it actually spoke. And that's the teaching. Did it? I don't know. But that's the teaching, and we're being told that this beast will speak. Hmm. And this, or this, this idol will speak. And this idol is a parallel to that. Um, one ancient Kabbalistic text links Nebuchadnezzar's actions directly to the Tower of Babel and that generation of division. So it, the Tower of Babel, will make a name for us, Genesis 11.4. Then later Nebuchadnezzar came after he had destroyed lands, uprooted kingdoms, and cast his hand upon the temple. He saw that he was able to do this and then returned to activate this evil thought that the generation of division had connived to assert. So in other words, he was now, he was, had that same goal. So the people who created the Tower of Babel, that was Nebuchadnezzar's same drive to, to become, you know, to rise up to heaven, to be like God. Uh, he saw that he was able to do this and then return, um, of division had connived to assert. This is the essence of the statement. King Nebuchadnezzar made a statue of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits broad. He set it up in the Bika of Dura in the province of Babylon, according to Daniel 3.1. This is the same Bika where they came upon a Bika, a valley, also a breach in the land of Shinar, and thus they gave it the name Babylon, Genesis 11.9. So what Nebuchadnezzar, when he built that statue, it was in the same valley, of, it was in Babylon. This same wicked man wanted to complete the thought of the generation of division, which could not do it. The one who understands this will understand the essence of all that is said in the chapters that deal with the generation of division and the idol of Nebuchadnezzar, and will realize how identical these situations are, and he will realize how far the wicked one's designs reached with that idol. So one of the things that the, that the study that I've been going through um, on Yashinet, one, one of the things that suggests, and this is something that I have questioned, you know, that we've, we've got these groups of Christians and Jews working together to try and rebuild all of the elements of the temple. Mm -hmm. and, and I sit back, and on the one hand I go, okay, but there's always been, I've always had this, under what authority are they doing this? Why are they doing this now? I know, I, I don't question their intentions. But we've talked before about God says something's going to happen and you either wait and get an Isaac or you work and get an Ishmael. And part of me has often wondered, are they making Ishmaels? Okay, so one of the things that the study suggested is what if they are making the very things that will be used by this false prophet and this false messiah? Ooh to declare themselves the replacement for the Lord. What if it's by taking these things, just like just like we have in this in this Midrash teaching, that it was the breast was it the um, the plate of the high priest that was put into the mouth of that image that allowed it to speak. So now so when they when they talk about that um, so does that mean that we need the temple to be built so that the Antichrist can come in and desecrate it, like it talked about? Or are we looking at, like you say, that the symbolism is that it's a government? It's we're actually, not, well, we're, gonna, this is where, I, this is where, we are told that it is Messiah who will build the third temple. Oh. But we are told that the, the false Messiah comes in and desecrates the holy place. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. it's so it's very well. It's very 
Well, it's very possible that it is all of these efforts to rebuild that create something for him to come in and use. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. If he's gonna... You know, because we have no instruction to build a third temple. Mm. Yeah, we're, not, we're not given uh, measurements or anything to build a third temple. Well, we're, we're, it says, you know, that Messiah will come, and we're going to get to this in Revelation, that he builds the third temple. And, but people keep, a lot of people think there has to be a third temple for him to come to. Mm-hmm. But that's, but not that's no, true. that's not there. But if that happens? But if you start building people. things, then you have something for a false messiah to come and use. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we'll know it's the real messiah is he'll come and create those things. Wow. He'll come and build those things. He'll bring Isaac. He'll come as Isaac. All we can create is Ishmael. Yeah, because right now the Jews worship somewhere. There's a holy place. Yeah, well, they, and a so lot of times they go to the we, we, they go to the places. Wailing Wall. Uh-huh. I mean, there 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 are and there are Jews have, who have always you know they've done sacrifices for the people outside of the. I mean, it's not necessarily in the right place, but there there are there are people who claim to be descendants from the Levitical priests who are continuing sacrifices on the holy days. Um, in Israel, and I mean, there, there's all sorts of different things going on, but there are these real public movements of, we're rebuilding the altar, we're rebuilding this, we're rebuilding that. We want to institute, we want to reinstitute the sacrifices. Okay, those things will happen in the world to come. But are your efforts really, I mean, are they religiously zealous and good-intentioned, but going to provide for the counterfeit or are they hmm. just a thought you know we'll yeah, see we'll see what happens yeah. um, so so they say you know when they this, they said inside the talking image in revelation may be such a case of bad timing if in fact this image is once again caused to speak by use of the head plate of the high priest or some other temple artifact where would this have come from and we've got these groups that are creating these things um, and so it says, interestingly, there are Jewish and Christians working, uh, groups working today toward rebuilding the temple who have constructed many of the necessary implements. One might ask, however, who said they were to do this? Where in scripture does God give this task to anyone, and does Israel merit this temple in its current spiritual state? Um, and so could it be that this, is, this will be another case of religious fervor that will backfire? Mm-hmm. You know, and as I said, create an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. Um, and they even say, this is simply something to consider. It's just a thought. It's, you know, I don't know. Um, verse 16, though. And it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Um, so the right hand and the forehead it mimics where the phylacteries go, and the phylacteries are the word of God. So God basically says, and, and in our Vahavta, you are to put his word, you shall bind it as a sign on your hand and on your forehead. Um, there's a, the, the phylacteries are a literal doing of this, but at the, at the deeper levels, it, your right hand of mercy, you're supposed to act with your right hand of mercy, and your thoughts are all supposed to be in conjunction with God, your actions and your thoughts. The hearers and the doers. Okay, so that that's that's what this means. So this false Messiah is going to put his mark on the hands and foreheads of his followers. Will there be a physical mark? Possibly. No. 
I mean, phylacteries are, are literal. Um, will it be, you know, a barcode? Probably not. It would probably be more like the phylacteries, some form of worship. Um, but it does say in verse 17, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Um, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So this is where you get all of the teachings that people will have 666 mm -hmm. on their hands, or they'll have, you know. Yeah. I, I think the idea is that, it, that, it's a, that your credit cards or whatever, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's not, that's not that on your, I know, people have, just go out of they do. control. They have those tracking systems, the RFID chips. They do. They want to put in your bodies, but then they also have tracking chips in your passport, in your, right. in your spending cards. Right. Like, and it's, and it's, so is phones. it possible that they will use that in this? Possibly. It's a, it's an actual form of technology, but that doesn't mean that you have to have the fear because if you are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it doesn't matter what's implanted in your Anywhere, body. You're not yeah. going to make those choices. So it's, th this, is, this, is, this is speaking more to a spiritual. I, I actually, um, and I, I should have printed it out to bring it and show you, but I would have to find it. And I have had a trouble the last few times I've gone to look for it. Um, as sites get older and don't update, they... they becomes harder to find them. Um, read a very well put together study that had photo images of the the scrolls of Revelation and and specifically this this verse. And they talked about why they understand why it's been translated as a number. Uh, but and that's the way it's translated. Well, that's the way it's well, number? it's translated as as this is how it's translated. Okay. But what they showed in the actual picture is that what's been translated 666 goes from reading, you know, uh, Hebrew the right to the left, I guess Aramaic, which whichever this one was written in it and but it goes to being parallel, which is how you write um, Arabic and they had pictures showing this is why it's been translated 666 and we understand that but then they showed pictures of the prayer that is said to become Islamic and what's actually in the text looks very much like that prayer so it could be that this is not about getting a tattoo on your hand but that this is about, and, and I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that it is Islamic worship. I, I don't want to create, I mean, I'm, those are providing us some parallel ideas and some parallel images. Will it be Islamic? Possibly. I don't know. I can't. The idea that it will be Islamic is much more legitimate to me than the idea that it will be, you know, some... NATO leader who rises up and, and gets shot in the head and then resurrects. I mean, it's, but it's, the idea is that it, this may be referencing to a different prayer of salvation, if you will. Mm -hmm. That this will actually, that this is actually only those 
who embrace this new religion, you know, this this religious ideal, who only those who show themselves worshipers and followers. Um, the mark that we read about that God's people having is, is a mark that the dis- angel of destruction sees. So this isn't necessarily something that you'll, you'll have as a, as a physical mark. It, well, it could be a very spiritual mark of your faith aligning with wow. the opposite and, of God. And when your faith aligns with the opposite of God, then naturally, like you said, it, your, your, your action and your thoughts. Go call Fiona out in the other room. Uh-huh. Your, your actions and your thoughts follow after that. So right. when you are marked... On your hand right. and your forehead. By your actions and your thoughts. By your exactly. And your thoughts. Exactly. And I and I'm using the Islamic example. That was what that study was, but I don't know. But whatever leader who rises up and presents themselves as being the real Messiah, that the, the real followers of God are gonna go, that's not right. Okay. Will it just be that you won't be able to to buy or sell because you aren't living within that community, functioning within that community, that you're an outsider, that you that you aren't engaging. Um, I, I saw a I saw a Meet the Press, I think it was, like a roundtable discussion on PBS several years ago. This was not on TBN, this was not a religious channel, this was just PBS Sunday morning talk stuff. And one of the one of the commentators said, he said, you know, the 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 sacred cow that nobody's allowed to talk about is at this point in time, unless you agree to abide by Sharia law, you cannot engage in international finance. Is that what this is referencing? Maybe. I don't know. But the idea is it's something that runs counter to God. It's something that marks its people the way that God marks his people. It's something that involves living out the faith of whatever it is you're embracing, and it is not God. So anything that is not God, we are not supposed to align ourselves with. And instead of it being like one big global thing, what couldn't it also come from different, um, under different names and different sources? Like let's say in the U.S., they're like, you either do this or you can't buy, sell, or trade. And then in Europe, it's like called something it, else. It could be, and, yeah. It doesn't have and to. And they're like, if you don't do that, then you can't buy. Something. It very well could be. I think the key. Like I think the key is rather than trying to guess what the counterfeit is going to be, we're supposed to focus on the real, because anything counterfeit in any day or age, you're not supposed to align to. Yeah. So, so trying to, you know, and this is where I hesitate even using the Islamic examples, except they're great current examples. Yeah. They, they're things that, that we see and that we can relate to. Um, that doesn't mean that it's going to be Islam and that it's going to be now. It's just whatever it's going to be, because, you know, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar, whether it was Haman, whether it was, you know, and any of the, the leaders, whether it was Hitler, you, you were a Nazi, or you weren't. Yeah. And if you weren't a Nazi, you couldn't buy, sell, or trade. You know, so this is not a new idea. This is how the enemy functions generation after generation after Keeps generation. Right. And so this is a picture of it happening in, you know, this one culminating time where all of these previous examples of it come to play for the final time. But that it's not going to necessarily be that different. 
And so the key is not aligning yourself with something that runs contrary to the word of God. And that's, and because this may, I mean, this may even on a very, on a much simpler level, if it's just the number of a man, meaning ideas of men versus ideas of God. You know, and, and don't, don't align yourself with the ideas of men over the ideas of God. But, yeah, who, who knows? So we will, and, and I love their, follow, their final notes. It says, we can now make the following contrasts and comparisons. Faith is contrasted to Amalek, who is doubt, and the anti-Messiah of Revelation. The establishment of the temple and the throne of God is contrasted to Hasetan's opposition to this. Um, where the, when the beast blasphemes the Holy Spirit. The study of Torah is the antidote to the doubt. Um, doubt is caused by the lack of Torah study, is a tactic used by the enemy to prevent the completion of the temple or the throne of God and the unification of his name. Anything that dissuades people from being hearers and doers of the Torah is of Amalek and the anti-Messiah. So if we, if we recognize and resist that on the lower levels, we will automatically... Resist that on the higher levels. If we if we refuse to be swayed in the little things, then the byproduct is we will not be swayed in the big things. So, on that oh. note, <laughs> may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.